Hello, I'm Derek Walker. I'm the pastor of the Oxford Bible Church. And in our study of the book of Revelation, we've reached Revelation 13, which describes the rise of Antichrist to world power at mid-tribulation. The Antichrist and the world empire dominated by him is described as a beast. In fact, he is the final manifestation of a seven-headed beast, which comprises of a succession of seven godless Gentile empires. And the Antichrist actually arises out of the seventh head of this beast. Now, the overall name of this beast is Babylon because of its spiritual origins at the Tower of Babel. And it represents Satan's attempt to unify all mankind in one global kingdom and religion under one dictator head controlled by Satan. Before we complete Revelation 13, we need to discuss Revelation 17 because it tells us much more about the scarlet beast with seven heads and the ten horns on the seventh head that uh, we read about in Revelation 13. Revelation 17. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, and I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. In verse 15, it explains that the waters that you see are where the harlot sits, are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. And so he says, I'm going to show you this great harlot, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. So there's the same beast. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones, pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. The harlotry and fornication here is of a religious nature, primarily. In the Bible, fornication and adultery are often used to describe spiritual unfaithfulness in worshipping false gods and idols. This political beast with seven heads represents seven successive world empires under Satan's rule, uh, which has opposed God. And that's why it talks about names of blasphemy upon it. And it's oppressed God's people over the course of time. Now, we are shown the main spiritual forces that Satan uses to control this beast and use it for his purposes. And these spiritual forces are represented by this woman, this harlot, who sits on the beast and exercises control over it. As well as being controlled by its beastly thirst for power, it is written by, written by a harlot who, with the name on her head of Babylon the Great. The woman and the beast are united and depend on each other. In fact, they're both called Babylon the Great, and that reveals their origin and their nature. You see, because after the flood, God commanded man to disperse throughout the world and form different nation-states. But under Nimrod, man rebelled and instead tried to centralize. And build, he built the Tower of Babel, or Babylon, in Genesis 11. And this was man's attempt, but really Satan's attempt, to establish a one-world government under, a, under the control of a dictator, supported by a one-world religion. And that religion is, is the harlot. 
and all that one world religion would then be enforced by the state and all of this would be to oppose God and cut God out of the whole thing. Thus the, t the nature of Babel is the combination of political and religious power to control the people. The religious aspect of Babel is seen in the fact that its original name means Gate of God and thus it claimed to be the mediator and connection between man and the divine. But God altered its name to mean confusion because he judged this rebellion uh, by confusing the languages, causing man to spread out across the world and form separate nations. And that limited Satan's ability to, to control man. And it allowed God to raise up his chosen nation Israel through whom the Messiah would come. However, the pagan Babylonian religious system spread out across the world. And from that time, the world empires carried on their backs the spirit of Babylon, this harlot religion, which seduces men's hearts after herself and false gods or demons even rather than pointing men's hearts to God and that explains her description as the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth the idols of the earth and also as the woman which you saw is that great city Babylon which reigns over the kings of the earth although the physical headquarters of this harlot religious system changes from empire to empire they are all manifestations of what Satan started at Babel at Babylon now a harlot takes something that has a proper use sex and uses it in an improper way for personal gain riches and power this harlot does the same with religion its proper use is as a servant to minister to people's needs especially to lead them to God but when it's prostituted it inverts this and takes the position of lordship and begins to rule she joins herself this religious system joins herself to political power to strengthen her position and gain riches and so it says this woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold precious stones and jewels and the inf this 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 woman has influence and uses that power to persecute those who do not submit to her system, her religion. The kings support her and submit to her religious system and enforce it. It says, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication. The kings are in league with her and actually follow her own religion um, and, and commit fornication in that way. Why do they do that? Because she actually can give the political power her divine endorsement, which greatly strengthens its uh, hold over the people. And it enables uh, it to build and consolidate nations into an empire with the ultimate dream of rebuilding the Tower of Babel, that one world government and uh, religion under one dictator. And so the harlot is, is a corrupted, idolatrous religion that has further compromised and corrupted herself by getting into bed with political power. It says, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. It is a political religion that has controlled world empires since the Tower of Babel. And so it says it sits on many waters, many peoples, wielding great power over peoples and nations who are made to drink of her religious spirit and idolatry. It says being made drunk with the wine of her fornication.
And so Babylon the Great is the general name for the world empires and their state religions which have dominated the masses through history and kept them from worshipping the true God. It has especially manifested itself in history through these seven heads, these world empires, with this religious harlot sitting on each head in turn. She's a domineering religious system wedded to the world empire beast, which through all its manifestations has the general title of Babylon. In the vision, John is told at what stage he was living. It says, here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains, or kingdoms, on which the woman sits. So she sits on all of these heads in turn. There are also seven kings, or kingdoms. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. By John's time, five, that's Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, and Greece, had all fallen. And the one that was still in existence controlling Israel was Rome, which is the sixth head. He was told that a seventh head would arise in the future, the final empire ruled over by Antichrist. Naturally, John's interest was focused on what would happen to the six and seven heads, and the form of the harlots who would sit on those heads. So his remaining comments are focused on those heads. The term mystery here, mystery Babylon, is associated with the harlot. And that could mean that she is by nature a mystery religion, where the priesthood possesses secret knowledge and powers, giving them access to favors, the favors of the gods. Uh, or more likely, this term mystery could mean, and this is in keeping with how the word mystery is used generally in the New Testament, it, it could mean that it indicates it's a new form of religion that wasn't around before, that develops in the church age, because mystery is often connected with what is new in the church age. And so that means it's either an apostate Christianity, which, by the way, Christ promised he would spew out of his mouth in Revelation 3.16, or it could be Islam, which also arose in the church age, or some kind of fusion between the two. So in contrast to the bride of Christ, the church age also brings forth this harlot religion that's unfaithful to God, and it will continue into the tribulation, exercising a worldwide in, uh, influence. The fact that John's focus is now on the sixth and seventh heads in the church age and tribulation is proved by the fact that she is described as being the main cause of the persecution of true believers in Jesus. It says, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. So this is the sixth and seventh head we're looking at. Using her control of the political powers, she systematically persecutes those who refuse to submit to her religious system. They refuse to commit fornication with her. And instead, they, they choose to trust in Christ alone. But she persecutes those ones. The harlot that rode the sixth head is a matter of historical record. She was initially the pagan religion of Rome, which included the worship of many gods and idols, especially the cult of worshipping the emperor. During the first two centuries, the church suffered great persecution from the state because she didn't accept these gods, nor would she worship Caesar, but held to a confession that Jesus alone is Lord. When John wrote Revelation, Rome was not just the political capital, but it was the official centre of the Babylonian religion. The head of the Babylonian religion had the title um, also of Pontifex Maximus. 
In 63 BC, Julius Caesar, who had been elected as Pontifex Maximus, also became the emperor of Rome and vested the office of Roman emperor with the priestly powers and functions of a Babylonian pontiff. And so from then on, the state and the religion were, were made one. From then on, the title Pontifex Maximus was used by the Roman Caesars, officially then joining the religion with the state under one head. Thus, the Roman emperors, like the preceding Babylonian emperors, now served as the priests of Babylonian paganism and bore the title Pontifex Maximus. But this unchristian pagan Ro Roman religion could not have been what so astonished John in verse 6, because it says how he was totally astonished when he saw this woman. Because John was already familiar with this, this pagan Roman religion, Indeed, he was suffering at that very moment under its persecution. What amazed him was that the Roman Empire would change its official religion to Christianity, starting with Constantine in the 4th century, who thought it would be useful to unite the empire through Christianity. But the marriage of church and state meant that the church was compromised as the paganism of the state was merged with the church. So paganism was replaced by paganized Christianity, which adopted and Christianized many of the pagan ways of worship, such as uh, images, idols, ceremonial robes, festival, um, special priesthood that stood between man and God, the, the worship of the Queen of Heaven and so on. Uh, and this was done in order to facilitate the conversion of the masses into, Christian into a form of Christianity. Sadly, the church accepted the offer of political power and so became a compromised harlot under the control of the emperor. In 378 AD, Caesar gave the headship of the Babylonian religion uh, and its title Pontifex Maximus to the Bishop of Rome. The Roman bishops then continued to advance in political power, especially after Rome fell in the 5th century, until the Pope ultimately claimed total authority over Christendom. Uh, both the church and the state. There can be no question that during the Dark Ages the medieval Roman Catholic Church was the harlot sitting on the sixth head, controlling the kings and using its power to persecute all those who did not submit to her, especially the true believers in Jesus and the Jews. And of course we know about the inquisitions over centuries and mass martyrdoms of many groups of Protestants and that meant that she did indeed shed far more of the blood of the saints even than pagan Rome. No wonder John was amazed to see that the main religious harlot during the church age controlling kings and nations, persecuting true believers, was a church that identified itself with Jesus, the preacher from Nazareth who refused to take political power but humbled himself to die on a cross. It must have amazed John to see that a major part of the church that in his time was a misunderstood minority group persecuted by the state would be so changed that it turned into the main persecutor in power for much of the church age. This woman during the church age lured men away from trusting in Christ alone to trusting in her for salvation and using images in worship and so committing spiritual fornication. The Roman Empire split into eastern and western divisions in 364 BC. The eastern half was in Constantinople till it fell to the Turks in 1453, when it moved to Russia, setting up a Roman style of government with Tsars, Russian for Caesar. 
In the West, Rome fell in 476 BC, but the papal authority kept a semblance of a Roman Empire, with the power shifted more to France, especially with Charlemagne's Holy Roman Empire in AD 800. In 962, the power shifted more to Germany, whose leaders called themselves Kaisers, or German for Caesar. By World War I, however, there was nothing, no semblance left of a Roman Empire. And also, due to a rise of democracy now, the Roman Church basically lost its ability to exercise direct political power over the nations. Um, therefore, the sixth head, with its harlot, has now fallen, and the seventh head, with its harlot, has not yet risen to power. Although we should expect to see signs of it rising up on the world scene before the tribulation starts. So we're in an interesting time right now. Now the rest of Revelation 17 focuses on the seventh head with ten horns, which is yet to appear, which will become the emperor, empire of the Antichrist, in which he will rise up and take supreme power. We read, The angel said to me, why did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and ten horns. The beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel, whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. This primarily refers to the death and resurrection at mid-tribulation, of the final manifestation of the beast, that's the Antichrist, causing all the unsaved to marvel at him, follow him and worship him, as we saw in Revelation 13. Through this process of death and resurrection, he'll become fully possessed by Satan and will show supernatural powers to confirm his godhood, further inspiring this, this worship. Now, the references to the bottomless pit and perdition fit best with a man but it could also have a secondary reference to the beast empire of which he is head. And so the empire itself goes through a death and resurrection. This points to the empire suffering an apparent death, but somehow living on in spirit and rising again physically on the stage of history stronger than ever. So this is one of two things. It's either a revival of the Roman Empire, the sixth head that fell, will come back as the seventh head, or some say the seventh head is an Islamic caliphate um, that had its fall in 1924, but then is going to rise again as a revived Islamic caliphate. At this point, it remains to be seen which of these two scenarios will take place. But um, events taking place in Europe, Syria, Iraq, Turkey, are surely of great importance in the final outcome of this issue. The dual, this dual interpretation that it could, is a man and the empire of the beast's death and resurrection is confirmed in verse 9. It says, here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains, symbolic of kingdoms, on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings. So the seven heads on which the harlot sits are interpreted in a dual way. First, as seven mountains or kingdoms, and secondly, as seven kings. The reference to seven mountains may also be a coded hint as to what city the woman would be sitting on during the church age, because at the time of writing, Rome was well known as the city on seven hills. And in verse 18, the woman is identified 
with a city. It could also be a hint of where the woman will sit in the time of the seventh head, for in the case of the revived Rome scenario, the harlot would be apostate Christianity with its headquarters in Rome, which possibly includes an interfaith unity with other religions. You see, the formation of this apostate church will be accelerated by the removal of all true believers in the rapture. So what will be left is, is various kinds of Christians that um, will then perhaps unite into this apostate Christianity. This massive event of the rapture will create great instability and its supernatural nature will so destroy the confidence of secular humanism that presently rules the West that the ruling powers will feel the need to, to have a harlot, this harlot, to ride their back once again to provide some kind of cohesion to their empire because secular humanism in itself is, is weak. It, it has no vision. It doesn't satisfy the heart of man uh, because God made, man, God, God made man's heart to know and worship God. And so a religion that has no sense of the divine um, is an empty thing. And Satan uses the religious instinct then to trap and control men using a false religion. So that's why Satan generally uses a religion because there is that need in man for something bigger than himself. And so that's why atheistic regimes like Stalin's Russia and Mao's China and North Korea, they have to invoke the cult of personality where the people are essentially required to worship the supreme leader. Um, and that seems to be exactly what happens when the Antichrist takes total power and people are expected to worship him. And so it's the use of religion. So although we're in a secular time right now, that is not a stable thing. Eventually um, that harlot will rise again because man has that need for something beyond, something spiritual. In the case of the revived caliphate scenario, the religious harlot will obviously be Islam. And um, clearly, Islam by nature is a political religion. So in many Islamic countries, religion is already controlling politics. It's of the spirit of Antichrist because it denies that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And it causes men's hearts to turn from worshipping the true God to worshipping a false God. And many of its practices actually have pagan origins. It's presently the main persecutor of the church in the earth and it's often enforced by the state. And its preferred method of e execution is beheading, which is what is used by the Antichrist in Revelation 20. Therefore, Islam also fulfills the basic requirements of the religion that controls the beast. Verse 10 continues. It says, five kingdoms have fallen. That's Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece. One is, the one at the time jo John wrote is Rome, which was still in power. The other, the seventh, is has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. In other words, that's the final uh, empire, either a revived Rome or a revived caliphate. Um, but that will only have a short time in power. That's three and a half years. The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth, the eighth head or the eighth kingdom, and is of the seven and is going to perdition. This is primarily talking about the Antichrist who comes from the seventh kingdom or head as a horn, that's as a king. 
But after his resurrection, his kingdom changes so much as he becomes absolute dictator and center of worship that it now becomes essentially an eighth kingdom personified in himself. In other words, the horn becomes a head. And that's exactly the picture of that little horn in Daniel 7, 8, this, uh, which actually becomes a head that speaks. Thus the eighth head grows out of the seventh head. But as we'll see, there is no harlot on this eighth head because he has the harlot destroyed at this point in order that all worship be centered on him. However, his time of dominion is short, three and a half years, and then he'll be destroyed. Thinking of the beast as revived Rome, this is simply saying that when the Antichrist takes over at mid-tribulation, the empire transforms into a new eighth empire. Thinking of the beast as the Islamic Caliphate, the seventh head, which suffers a death in 1924, and then an end-time resurrection, the resurrected Caliphate is, the, is an eighth head, which springs from and is connected to the original Caliphate, which is the seventh head. So, 12, verse 12 says that the ten horns on this seventh head are an end-time confederation of ten kings who will submit to the Antichrist and reign with him and who will join with him in waging war against Christ when he returns at Armageddon. Let's read that. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. These are of one mind and they will give their power and authority to the beast. These will make war with the lamb and the lamb will overcome them for he is Lord of lords and king of kings and those who are with him, that's the church, who've, that's previously been raptured, those who are with him are called, chosen and faithful. And finally in verse 16, it tells us more about the radical changes that happen at mid-tribulation. It says, and the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. So in other words, the Antichrist wants total power, political, financial, religious. He even wants to be the center, the sole center of worship. Thus he wants to be like Christ, as Satan wants to be like the Father. As Christ is the perfect visible representation of his invisible Father, so Antichrist will be the exact visible representation of his invisible Father, the devil. And so he wants to be worshipped as well as have total political power. Therefore, although the harlot had been useful to the Antichrist in unifying this empire and consolidating its power and helping him rise to power, he ultimately plans to destroy her so that the only religion left is centered on the worship of himself. So when the ten kings totally submit to Antichrist at mid-tribulation, he commands them to totally destroy the harlot. Thus, although the harlot riding the beast is the dominant religion in the first half of the tribulation, at mid-tribulation the beast that she was riding on turns on her and kills her. In so doing, they are actually, the ten kings, are carrying out God's will in judging this false religion, as I said, which is either apostate Christianity or Islam, or some interfaith mixture. But even though this harlot will be destroyed at this point, it will be replaced by something even worse, which is the Antichrist religion where the whole world will have to worship the Antichrist. And so both religion and political power will be centered in one man, the Antichrist. That's Satan's total goal, 
to bring the whole world under this one man that he controls completely. But Jesus has other plans for the future. Thank you for watching. You can order CDs, DVDs, books and other great products from our online shop at www.oxfordbiblechurch.co.uk or by calling 01865 515 086.